Help defend the church by becoming a supporter of Family Life International. Your contributions enable us to continue our work to promote the faith, defend the family and promote the sanctity of life. Make a real difference today. Go to www.familyandlife.org.uk slash donate. Dominus Fobiscum Et Spiritus Duo Lexio Sancti Evangelii Secundum Lucam The Lord appointed 72 others and sent them out ahead of him in pairs to all the towns and places he himself was to visit. He said to them, The harvest is rich, but the laborers are few. So ask the Lord of the harvest to send laborers to his harvest. Start off now, but remember, I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. Carry no purse, no haversack, no sandals. Salute no one on the road. Whatever house you go into, let your first words be, Peace to this house. And if a man of peace lives there, your peace will go and rest on him. If not, it will come back to you. Stay in the same house, taking what food and drink they have to offer, for the laborer deserves his wages. Do not move from house to house. Whenever you go into a town where they make you welcome, eat what is set before you. Cure those in it who are sick and say, the kingdom of God is very near to you. But whenever you enter a town and they do not make you welcome, go out into its streets and say, we wipe off the very dust of your town that clings to our feet and leave it with you. Yet be sure of this, the kingdom of God is very near. I tell you, on that day, it will not go as hard as Sodom as with that town. The 72 came back rejoicing. Lord, they said, even the devils submit to us when we use your name. He said to them, I watched Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Yes, I have given you power to tread underfoot serpents and scorpions and the whole strength of the enemy. Nothing shall ever hurt you. Yet do not rejoice. Let the spirits submit to you. Rejoice rather that your names are written in heaven. Verbum Domini. We know, of course, that our blessed Lord chose 12 apostles. These apostles he kept with him for three years, teaching them and training them to proclaim the message, the good news of the presence of the kingdom of God. He sent them out, the 12, into Galilee as preparation, as training 
for what would come later, namely, that he would send them out into the whole world. But now in the last year of his life, we're told by St. Luke, in fact, we're told by St. Matthew, St. Mark, and St. Luke, that he appointed 72 others. And he sent them out ahead of him in pairs to all the towns and places he himself was to visit. This would be not in Galilee, but in Judea, because our Lord was making his way to Jerusalem. The question we should ask ourselves is, what happened to the 72? Who are the 72? What was their task, their role? What is their position in regard to the 12? Well, we don't, <coughs> we don't know the names of all of the 72. But we do know the names of some. For instance, Matthias was one of them, and Joseph called Basabas was one of them. These were the two names that were brought forward when the disciples, the apostles, had to replace Judas. But we also know the names of others. Justice, for instance, um, Barnabas. We also, um, Silas, who were associates of St. Paul. And we know from other sources that they were also acquainted with our Lord. So we do, know, we do know the names of some of them. Why did the Lord appoint 72? Why not 100 or 200 or 1,000? After all, he did say that the harvest is rich. Well, we cannot presume to know why he chose 72. But certainly, if we look back through the uh, Old Testament, we will notice very clearly a pattern emerges. So the Lord blends the old with the new. What do we notice? Well, in the book of Numbers, Moses chose a representative from each of the 12 tribes. This formed the council and they were to help Moses in governing the people. The task became exceedingly heavy, heavy for Moses, and his father-in-law, Jethro, said to him, you cannot carry on like this. You're going to kill yourself. It's too much. Choose others to assist. And so Moses chose six men from each tribe who would be associated with the others. Now, there are 12 tribes, if you take six, then you have 72. So this formed the outer council. These 72 would continue um, right through Jewish history, and eventually they would form what was the great Sahendrin. In the, in the, judici the Mosaic judiciary, simple cases like theft were tried usually with three judges. For more serious offenses, such as murder, there was another court, which was called the Little Sahendrin, or the Council, and this consisted of 23 judges. But for really serious offenses, such as blasphemy, 
apostasy, matters relating to the king or matters relating to the high priest. These were regarded as so serious that they were tried by the great Sanhedrin, which consisted of 72. Our Lord was brought before the great Sanhedrin because he, his, his, he was accused of blasphemy. So we have the 72 there in the judicial system. But we also have something else. When the people were coming um, um, uh, before they entered the, the promised land, they came across an oasis. And we're told there were 72 palm trees and 12 fountains. The fountains, of course, bring up fresh water, symbols of the Holy Spirit. Whereas the palm trees offer shade and they grow tall. These represent the priesthood. So you have the priests, or basically the bishops, since they are the successors to the apostles, who are like fountains, inasmuch as they should be proclaiming the Spirit, what the Holy Spirit himself inspires in them. And the priests are like shades, assisting the people so that they are refreshed as we make our way through this Valley of Tears. 72, very simple, yet here we can see how rich is the message behind it. The Lord sent them out in pairs because charity demands someone else. We cannot be charitable on our own. We need someone else in order to show charity. But the Lord sent them out in pairs again for a number of reasons. One, if you have someone observing what you're doing, you usually behave yourself and do it properly. And so when they went out, they would be a support to each other, an encouragement to each other. As the scripture says, if one travels alone and falls, who is there to pick him up? If he has a companion, then he will be raised. But again, there's more to this couple, this, this um, pair. For instance, how did God lead his people out of Egypt? It was by a pair of brothers. Not Moses by himself, but Moses and Aaron. When they, when, when they arrived at the frontier of the promised land, and the spies brought back bad news, again, it was a pair. It was um, Caleb and um, Joshua who opposed the, the, um, the bad news, the false news that the spies had brought. Again, we have other examples right through scripture. For instance, in, in not only in good things, but also in bad things we find pairs, such as the sons of Eli. And then in the New Testament, we find also pairs. For instance, Peter and John, they ran to the tomb together. When our Lord sent the disciples out on Holy Thursday to prepare for the Last Supper, he sent a pair, two of them, to go and to find the donkey and to get the room prepared. On Easter Sunday, when he rose from the dead, there were two who were making their way to Emmaus. They didn't go alone, there were two. And the same pair came back to tell the apostles, we have seen the Lord. 
of course, for us also, we should have a soulmate, someone to travel along the road to heaven. Or as the fathers of the church have said, nobody goes to heaven alone. We always go with someone else. Equally, nobody goes to hell alone. So we have to be very careful who our partner is. But for those who are doing that, which is good, they go to all the towns and the places that the Lord himself would visit. Because whenever we go proclaiming the word, the Lord is sure to follow. And so he said to them, the harvest is rich, laborers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest to send laborers to his harvest. It is not the number that matters, but the quality of the laborer. And again, when the history of the church, we'll find that take St. Francis Xavier, for instance, who went out to Egypt, to India, and from India all the way to Japan, all the time preaching and praying and baptizing, so that he, could, he is rightly called the Apostle of the East. His right arm, which he, with which he baptized tens of thousands personally, even today, lies in the Church of Jesu in Rome. And he, all the time, was praying. In fact, in his memoirs, he said, I do not, have, I do not even have time to eat because the children always, want to, always come to me. They wanted me to teach them some prayer. So there is one full of zeal who was able to convert thousands, tens of thousands, and so many that he's called the Apostle of the East. So when the Lord asks us to pray to the Lord of the Harvest, we should be praying for priests with zeal. Priests who are anxious to explain and to spread the word of God. Because if there is no knowledge of God, surely we will die of starvation. As the scriptures say, the people perish for lack of knowledge. So he instructs them to carry no purse, have a sack of sandals, to salute no one on the road, and to proclaim a message of peace. He says he sends them out like lambs among wolves in the natural course of events. What chance does the lamb have? Absolutely none. But because the words that are being preached are peace, the lambs are such that they will change the wolves into sheep. So that the prophet Isaiah's prophecy is fulfilled. The lamb and the wolf eat together. And this is exactly what happens. Because as the, as the 72, as the disciples, as the preachers of the word go out, they go, the shepherd, the good shepherd is with them. And therefore, there is nothing to fear. Nonetheless, the Lord warns them against avarice. Do not provide for your needs. Carry no purse, nor have a sack, nor sandals. 
And then he continues, stay in the same house, taking what food and drink they have to offer, for the laborer deserves his wages. In other words, all that is needed, all that is required, is food for the day, which is exactly what we pray for in the Our Father. Give us this day our daily bread. And if we are sufficient with this, if we are sufficient with the daily bread, we'll have more than enough. But if we're not satisfied, we can never be satisfied, even with the daily bread. Then he continues, where they make you welcome, cure those in it who are sick. So the Lord gives them power, the power of working miracles. And it is this that will confirm the truth of what they say, namely, that the kingdom of God is very near to you. Remember, this is the last year of our Lord. And so, the kingdom is about to break into this world. Where they don't make you welcome, he says, then do not even take the dust out of their town. In other words, show them that you're not interested in what belongs to them. You're interested only in their soul. And therefore the Lord says, as a warning, I tell you, on that day it will not go as hard to Sodom as with that town. And what was the sin of Sodom? The sin was that the men of Sodom were inhospitable inasmuch as they wanted to assault the angels. Their attack were on the angelic beings. But Lot and Lot alone gave to the two angels sanctuary. And as the angels said when they leave in, we cannot do anything against this place. We cannot destroy this place as long as you remain because of Abraham's hospitality, um, of Lot's hospitality. And so the Lord is saying that to not to offer hospitality, a welcome, a good hearing to not angels, but the Son of God himself will invite a punishment more terrible than that of Sodom, which was fire and brimstone. That's why it's important that we preach the word in season, out of season. Welcome and all went on welcomed. And so the 72 go out full of zeal, with power, working signs, preaching the word, making converts, for which reason they came back rejoicing. But what are they rejoicing about? Lord, even the devil submit to us when we use your name. They were rejoicing either that the devil's submission, which is a good thing, or they were rejoicing the fact that they had power over the devils, which also is a good thing. So the Lord answers them. Because whilst what they were rejoicing is in itself good, it was capable of destroying them. Why? The Lord answers indirectly. I watched, he says, Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Satan 
had power. The problem was, he was also proud. And so it is his pride that cast him out of heaven. And again, we have for our instruction, three things, or rather three places. First of all, in heaven, evil is found in Satan. In the garden built by God, Satan also makes his presence. And thirdly, in the world and in the church, Satan makes his presence. Our Lord, on the night he was betrayed, said to the apostles, Satan has got his wish to sift you all like wheat. But I prayed for you, Simon. And when you've turned again, strengthen your brethren. So already Satan had insinuated himself into the company of the twelve. So we should not be surprised, and even more, we should not be disturbed to see his presence everywhere. What we need to remember is what the Lord has told us about him. He fell like lightning. There was no place found for him. And what does lightning look like? Well, first of all, it's a flash of light of very short duration. Secondly, it's capable of a great deal of destruction. And thirdly, it is in itself very short duration. And so the Lord refers to pride, Satan's pride, as exactly that. The angel, or powerful, in a moment is rendered powerless. He goes out like a flash, and then he is nothing more. Yes, the Lord now continues, I have given you power to tread underfoot serpents and scorpions and the whole strength of the enemy. So we do not need to fear him. Even though he is in our midst, we do not need to fear him because we have the power to tread him underfoot. A point that St. Paul makes in the letter to the Romans. Don't you know that you have power to tread underfoot Satan? Says St. Paul. So serpents, yes, these are open enemies. And scorpions, yes, those are hidden enemies. Because the serpent bites with its mouth. The scorpion stings with its tail. But whichever, if we trust, if we place our, our trust completely in Christ, nothing indeed can ever hurt us. So the Lord then does not say to them, do not rejoice that you have power. What he does say is, rejoice in something even greater. Do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you. Rejoice rather that your names are written in heaven. This is what we must rejoice about. And when were our names written in heaven? On the day of our baptism. Our task today is to ensure that we do not do anything which will cause our names to be erased. We need to remember that we have a deadly enemy whom we are not to fear. 
but nonetheless we must recognize him for what he is. Cruel and treacherous. We also need to recognize that he is after each and every one of us individually because he wishes us to join him in hell. But equally, we know that we have a savior who has written, has chosen us. We didn't choose him, he chose us. And he has taken us to himself, incorporated us into his body, written our names in heaven, and he calls us every day. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. I call each one by name. Let us then ask the Holy Spirit to open our ears so that we might hear the voice of the Good Shepherd and follow him into the pastures of eternal life. In the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. This MP3 recording has been made available by Family Life International. Help us to make many more available in order to promote our Catholic faith. Go to www.familyandlife.org.uk and donate today. Thank you.